The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Thank you, Andy. A choir and orchestra. That was incredible. You know, the older I get, that song means more to me. Didn't mean much to me when I was 18, 20. But as you get older, it means more and more, doesn't it? Man, what a powerful song. And... um, so good to see each and every one of you today. My name is Warren Samuels. Not that you care, but I just wanted to get that out. We want to welcome uh, those of you who are sitting this morning at Worship East. I went over there this morning. Man, I was so impressed uh, by what I saw. I'm hoping at some point in time, I don't know who makes this decision, Randy, I want to preach over there. That place is just awesome. And I also want to welcome those of you online uh, for being here today. One thing that I have really appreciated is how desperately I believe this church is in total belief of their need for God. If you're visiting today and you think that perhaps this is a group of people who have it all together and we came today to celebrate how great we are, you came to the wrong place. We came today because we're in desperate need of the God who created us and the God who redeemed us. And we know we don't have it all together. In fact, I tell people visiting all the time, if you're looking for the perfect church, don't join it, you'll ruin it. And uh, that is so, so true. There is no perfect church, only a perfect Savior. The bride is very imperfect. She always has been. But it's truly a joy for me to be here with you today on this rainy Sunday morning. But I want you to stop and I, I want you to ask yourself this morning to think about all the words that come to your mind when you think about the word language. Language. Uh, perhaps we think about the ability to communicate or we think about connecting with people. Uh, maybe you think about that which is spoken. And I think you would agree that most languages are verbal in their nature, sign language being an exception to that. But ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the language of leadership, that is the ability by God's grace to connect and to communicate with those that God has called us to love and to lead and to serve you're going to find that that language is very different because the language of leadership is not so much about sound as it is about sight. That it's not so much about the words that come out of your mouth, but what people see portrayed in and through your life. In fact, I know that there may be a lot of gifts in this room this morning that are illustrated here. There are only a very few of you that I know, which I'm very sorry about that. I hate that. But I know a lot of you have a variety of gifts. Some of you are very gifted with technology. Some of you are very gifted at administration. Some of you are very gifted uh, at communication. But do you understand that if you do not love the people that God has called you to lead and to serve, do you understand that it's going to greatly diminish the value of your skills and is going to greatly hinder your effectiveness in working with people? Do you hear me? You may be gifted in so many areas, 
But if the people that God has called you to love and to lead and to serve do not believe wholeheartedly that you care about them, it will greatly diminish your effectiveness to them. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the 20th chapter of the book of Acts. And by way of background, Paul, we are somewhere between 55 and 54 AD. Paul is addressing the leadership of Ephesus. It is a very prominent church, in fact, was the most prominent church in Asia Minor at that time. Located on the coast of the Aegean Sea, at that time it contained one of the seven wonders of the world. In fact, just off the coast of the Aegean Sea is where the island of Patmos is, where John was exiled. And so Paul is addressing a group of leaders that probably he helped to put into place three years earlier when this church was planted. And so he wanted to speak with them because he knew, and we'll see it in just a moment, he knew that he would never see their face again. Remember, there is no texting, uh, there are no cell phones, there are no emails, you couldn't send a pigeon. There is absolutely no way that Paul was going to be able to communicate with these people again once he left Ephesus. And so you can believe that what he had to say to them as leaders in that church was very important. And I believe with all of my heart, very important today. A church is, is sometimes very vulnerable when a senior pastor is not here. And I cannot tell you how critical those of you who serve in this church, both from a vocational standpoint and a volunteer standpoint, how critical your leadership is to this church at this time. It matters. And so what Paul had to say, I believe, was not only important then, but I believe, particularly in this season of your church's life, is very critical that we get today. And so let's take a look, because there are three things this morning I wanted to share that Paul wanted them to be reminded of this morning. The first one is found in verses 18 and 19. Paul talks about the attitude of the effective leader. I've heard it said many times that life is about 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. Attitude is absolutely critical regardless of the leadership position that you hold. So the Bible tells us that when they came to him, he said, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. Now I want you to look at the end of verse 18, that little phrase, how I was with you the whole time. The phrase literally in in the language of the New Testament says this, how with you all the time I was. Now that doesn't sound grammatically correct in English, and it's not. But I think it's very significant that you get this. Because Paul is not saying, I simply want you to remember that I was with you. I want you to remember what I was doing with you when I was with you. Does that make sense? He knew they would remember that he was there, but he wanted them to remember what he was doing with them while he was there. Ladies and gentlemen, when we get to Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is in the fourth quarter of his life. 
It is not going to be long before he's going to find himself in a Roman prison. He's going to hear the jingle of keys. A group of men are going to carry him out of that jail, take him to a courtyard, and he is going to be beheaded. Paul wasn't crucified as many of the other disciples because he was a Roman citizen. Roman citizens could not be crucified, so he was indeed beheaded. But this is what really hit me when I was thinking about this, and, and I, I understand what it is like to have gray hair and to get older. I'm there. There is no one in this room that is more aware of the fact that I'm living in the fourth quarter of my life than I am. And there's a number of you in this room right now that are living in the fourth quarter of your life. A man asked me two weeks ago, he said, Warren, do you ever think about the future? And I said, nope, not much. He said, why? I said, because I'm not going to be in it. (laughs) And there's a whole bunch of people in this room, if you were really honest with yourself, you say the same thing. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) But I want you to listen to me because I, I wasn't finished. I said to him, I'm not obsessed with the future, but let me tell you what I am obsessed with. I'm obsessed with pouring my life into men and women who will carry the banner of Christ into the future. Most of us in this room will not be in the future. The only way we impact the future is by pouring our lives into little children, boys and girls, young men and women, who hopefully by the grace of God will carry the banner of Christ after we are dead. And that's what Paul did. This is a part of that ministry, pouring his life into the young leadership at Ephesus because he knew he would never have another opportunity to impart wisdom to them again. And so what I want you to to understand here is he's saying something very important. He's trying to model for them the way he wants them to model ministry within the church at Ephesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's modeling for his leaders what he wants his leaders to model for the way they relate to the congregation. About 15, 16 years ago, I had lunch with one of the young men who was a VP at Nordstrom. And we were talking about Nordstrom's success and so forth. And I I asked him this one question. I'll never forget what he said. I asked him, can you just give me one thing that you believe has been the success of your store? And here's what he said. He said, most people believe at Nordstrom that the customer is number one. But he said that's not true in our culture. Our employees are number one. In upper management, we try to relate to our employees the way we want our employees to relate to the customer. Does that make sense? That's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's trying to model and to instruct and to pour his life into them and to teach them things that he wants them in turn to teach others. Here's my question, folks. Gentlemen, where are your men? Ladies, where are your women? Where are the people that you're pouring your life in today? 
that hopefully by the grace of God will be impacting the kingdom and advancing the kingdom ball after you're gone. For Paul, this was very, very important. It's very, very important. Paul never forgot, ladies and gentlemen, his Damascus Road experience. The experience where Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute and destroy the church. We all remember what happened. The Lord Jesus knocked him off of his horse, blinded him with a light. You remember the story? If you're a type A personality in here, that's typically how God has to get your attention. Has to knock you off your horse. We got some type A's in here. When God's dealt with you, is he had to knock you off your horse? Well, he did Paul. He got his attention. And Jesus came to him, and we're going to talk about this more next week. But he came to him and he said, Paul, I've appeared to you to appoint you a, and the very first word that Jesus describes here is that of a servant. And the word that Jesus uses for servant is the word an under rower. Now, if you know anything about ships, in particular Roman ships in the first century, many of the ships, the Roman ships were multi-leveled. The lowest form of slave on the Roman ship was the under rower. The under rower was on the very bottom floor. There was very little ventilation. There were very, the lighting was very poor. The human waste, because these guys are chained all day long, rowing, all the human waste from the first and second floor would trickle down to the third floor. Can you imagine what it was like living day in and day out in that environment? But that's the word that Jesus uses to describe Paul's primary ministry. He said, I've called you, Paul, first and foremost to be an under rower. Now, when you and I think of Paul, we think of church planner, we think of missionary extraordinaire, best Christian that ever lived. But when Paul saw himself, he saw himself as the lowest form of slave on the boat. And he never forgot it. And that attitude of servanthood permeated every aspect of Paul's life. In fact, one of the reasons why I love Acts 20 so much is because it allows us to see Paul in a way that we seldom see him. There's a tenderness of Paul that we see here in his pastoral role that we don't see in very many of his letters. He was an underroar. He never lost sight of that. You see, there are many of us in this room, we want to be called servant leaders, but here's the problem. Nobody in this room wants to be treated like one. Yeah, I want to be called a servant leader, but don't you dare treat me like one. I think Paul was so effective because he never lost sight of the oar. He never lost sight of the oar. I know a lot of people today in church work, they've lost sight of the oar. If there's a group of people on the face of the earth that you would believe would have absolutely no reason for arrogance whatsoever, you'd believe it'd be the body of Christ, right? But that's not always the case. Because I believe there are a lot of men and women who've lost sight of the oar. And that God has called them, just like Paul, to be an under roar. The attitude. Then he moves on to the action. Look at verse 20. He said, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable 
and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Gentiles of repentance toward faith, I'm sorry, toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's revealing here the action of the leader primarily. Now I want you to look at this little word here in verse 20, the word shrink. You see it? Underline that. The word shrink was a sailing term. It means to furl your sails. It means to roll up your sail. I don't understand. In those days when sailors were on the ocean and they would look in the distance and they would see a storm coming in, what's the first thing they did? They furled the sails. They rolled the sails up. Why? Because if they left the sails down, the wind would tear them to shreds. Well, what's Paul saying here? What Paul's saying is there was never one moment that I furled the sails and kept the gospel from you. Ever. I was faithful in my proclamation of the gospel even when the storms in my life raged on and on. He said, I did it both publicly and privately. He says at the end of verse 20, he said, I taught you publicly and from house to house. Now let me tell you something about ministry because this year is my 46th year of full-time vocational ministry. 46. And I'm only telling you this for, for, for one reason. I've seen a lot. In fact, I give prizes to people, Randy, who can give me a story I hadn't heard before. I very seldom give out a prize. I've heard everything. Would shock you things that I have heard over 46 years of time. But I have been through stages in my life where I had to play hurt. Those of you in here who are athletes, male and female, if you're in athletics very long, regardless of your sport, there's going to come a time that you will play hurt. And there may be some of you in this morning that are playing hurt. The storms of life are raging. It is though darkness is encompassing you. It's very difficult for you to continue to serve. But Paul wanted them to understand. Even when I was going through the storms, I didn't roll up my sails. I never stopped proclaiming to you the word of God. Ever. Ever. Even in the midst of my pain. In fact, it's interesting that Paul, just days or maybe weeks before his death, he said to young Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. Don't preach your opinions. Don't preach psychology today. Preach the word. Be ready, Timothy, in season and out of season. Why is the Word of God and its proclamation always in season, ladies and gentlemen? Because men and women are always in season. Ducks aren't always in season. Deer aren't always in season. Turkey aren't always in season. But men and women are always in season. And the only ammunition that can bring a man or a woman to his knees is the Word of God. Do you understand that? 
Unfortunately today, we have so many churches consumed with more, being more relevant than they are being biblical. And we wonder why our churches in this country are dying. It's not because we're preaching the Word. It's because we aren't. We aren't. And we're so concerned about being offensive to an unregenerate world. The gospel is offensive to a lost man. Until God grabs a hold of his heart and God opens his eyes to the truth of the gospel, the gospel is offensive. Now, we don't have to share it in an an overly offensive way, but just the story. There's a guy here in Texas. He said this recently. I heard it out of my own mouth. We don't talk about sin in our church. People already know they are. No, they don't. Or if they do, they don't want to be confronted with it. We're not going to preach, he said, in this church on the blood of Christ and the cross and the need for man's redemption. Then why not take the word church off your building and replace it with something else? Paul never, ever lost sight of the proclamation of the gospel, and we as leaders must follow suit. There's one other thing he says here. He shares the affection of the leader. In verse 31, he said, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each of you with tears. I want to ask you something. Those of you that hold any leadership position in this church whatsoever, let me ask you this. When is the last time you wept over the sin of the people that you lead and you serve and you care for? When's the last time? When's the last time you shed a tear over your own sin? When's the last time you shed a tear over someone else's sin? Then he says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who have been sanctified. When you and I pray, please hear me. When you and I pray for the people that God has put in in our care, whether they be children, they're students, they're young adults, they're senior adults, they're singles, it doesn't matter. Paul says we must commend them. That's what he says here in, in verse 31. You must commend them. What does the word, excuse me, commend mean? The word commend means, it's a banking term, it means to deposit. Do you understand that when you commend your people to the Lord, that what you're doing is you are depositing them into the hands of God? Isn't that incredible? That God invites us in prayer to put our people in God's hands? We can't change people, ladies and gentlemen. That's why we have to deposit them, commend them into the hands of a life-changing God. You know, one of the things, I have three daughters. They're all grown, yes. I, growing up, I was a minority in a sorority. Yep. <laughs> Women everywhere at my house. And I learned very quickly that as a parent, I had to go through three stages with my daughter, and every adult in this room has got to do the same thing with your kids. We started out as a cop. 
Then we move to coach. And then we moved, hopefully, not all, to counselor. Now, when you're in the counselor stage with your children, and oh, by the way, if your kids are 25, 26, 30, 40, 50, you're in the counselor stage. The problem is their parents today still trying to cop and coach their 30-year-old children. Hey, how's that going for you? In the counselor mode, here's what you do. You put a sign around your neck that says, I love you, come see me when you wish. And we silently commend them to the Lord. There are many young men that came to visit my daughters. And that was the bad part, Andy, of having good-looking daughters. I know you're looking at me going, well, obviously they look like their mother. Yes, that's true. They don't look like me. That all of a sudden I had all these boys. I tell people, I wanted a little boy in the beginning. I didn't get one. Then I started getting boys and I didn't want them. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? But these boys, they just all of a sudden showed up. And so many of them were not marriage material. And here's what we did. We loved them. We fed them. And we prayed them out of our children's lives. Stop trying to coach and cop your adult children. Get on your knees and put them in God's hands because God can do things with them you and I cannot possibly do. Same thing with the people that you are responsible for. It's not my job to change. It is my job to commend. You know, in my 46 years of working with people, I've never had anyone say, hey, would you chart for me the synoptic problem? Or can we talk about the JEDP documentary hypothesis? No one, ever. Randy, you ever had anybody ask you to do that? Okay, Randy's going, no. Yeah, I mean, most of us don't. But every single day, every single day, people come up to me, and they don't verbalize it, but I know they're asking me, do you love me? Because look, folks, let me tell you something. I'm not the best at what I've done over the years. I'm not. I can give you a lot of guys that are a lot better at what they did than me. But one thing that I've asked God to help me to portray to the people that I served was God help me to love them the way you love them. Love them through me. And let me tell you what happens if people see that. You'll find that love will cover a multitude of sins. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the greatest. If people know that you care, they'll give you many, many chances. So the million dollar question this morning is simply this. Did Paul do that? Did he connect? Well, I want you to look in your Bibles 37. I don't think I gave this to the guys. I'm not sure I did. I don't think I did. So sorry. It's not their fault. It's my fault. But I want you to look at 37 and 38. Because I always want to know, well, did he connect with his leaders? Verse 37, the Bible says they began to weep aloud. They wept aloud. And they embraced Paul. And they repeatedly kissed him. And they were grieving over the word which he had spoken. That they would never see his 
face again. And they followed him to the ship. I'm done with this. True leadership effectiveness will not be determined by the applause of men and women when you arrive. True true effectiveness and leadership will be determined by the tears of men and women when you leave. If you walked out of your leadership position today, would anybody shed a tear? Would anybody really care? Would they throw a party? A lot of times we don't know how effective we've been until we walk out the door. But I believe with all of my heart that what Paul has to say today is as relevant to us as it was when it was written. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. It is true. It is as it is reliable today as it was when it was written many, many years ago. And I ask with all of my heart, oh God, because I know there are many people in this room that are in various leadership positions. And I pray that you would help us to never lose sight of the oar, to love and to serve and to care for those that you have given us responsibility over. God, it's a very heavy task that we would model for them the way we want them to model in their interaction with each other. And I pray this for one reason, not for the glory of this church, not for the glory of a man or woman in this building, but for the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus, I ask these things. For in his name we pray, amen.